0: Today I want to bring uh, the close and the, really the punchline for the series we've been doing, The Program to Change the World. I, I want you to take seriously these words, and you're going to see why in just a minute. But uh, not, not laboring, but for those that are new, uh, God describes uh, the challenge and the problem for mankind, and it is sin. Sin. And that condition has brought separation and death. But things that we really don't talk about so much is the deception that it brings over mankind. The power to deceive, the power to uh, misdirect, uh, the power to bring paranoia and mistrust, and then to act on those things are all a function of sin. So that we kind of went over the effects of sin and that really talked about the deception, the destruction. That's personal for you and I. We talked about the effects of sin on humanity, how it brought really separation and, and, and where we tried to conquer one another, where we still are, where we're finding fault with one another in our differences. And he is clear that man's condition is not fixable by man. And then we see... What I call man's God hope. And it's where God says, what you can't fix, I can. And God said that he would send his own son into creation that he could restore humanity. That he could restore creation. And, and put to death all the powerful effects of sin. And at just the right time, Jesus came as a man Showing this new way of being human. This very powerful new way. So Jesus comes to the rescue. And the scripture reveals this to us. That he came to seek and save those things that were lost. Those were, were separated from God. And it says that he came to be a light in the world. And He And he said the world is full of darkness. That's why the world struggles. And its actions and its behavior are those of darkness. And he says... I have come to be a light in the world. And then he came, it says, to be the hope of the world. That's the role he came to play. We will kind of home in on that, because so often the church loses that front edge. That is the tip of the spear. That is the message to the world. No matter who they are, no matter what your context is, that is your message. That was Jesus' message. And we discussed last week that Jesus was actually an activist. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He broke the power of deception of this world. That means he cast out demons. And he gave people the truth about who they were and who God is. And that was his story. That was the way he saw activism. He saw it as a way that it was an intervention in the lives of people, you and I. You didn't see him really focus on a people group. You saw him focus on people. Who did he focus on? Anybody that would listen. Anybody that he could get an audience with. Any place where it looked like an opportunity and the Holy Spirit was raising that to his attention He went to work. He was a pure activist from that standpoint. The people who follow Jesus, they become Jesus. The scripture tells us in his words, you shall be my witness and they will know me because you have my story and you have my purpose. They will know me because you know me what I have, I give to you. And he tells us, you're now going to be the light of the world. I'm going to be the light of the world. You're going to be the hope of the world. I'm going to be the hope of the world. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins to reveal that his role was not to come just to finalize and make things a reality as far as redemption. But Jesus also revealed this reality that it would be carried on and carried out by people that bought in to this truth. That they would now be empowered in the same way he was to do what he did, to be effective in communicating and in bringing real change in the world. That is our role. We have come to seek and save that which is lost. We have come to be a light in the world. And he did it through activism. He did it through touching lives. Our tools, as we recognize in the series, have become the same tools that he used. We trade a sword. We trade a gun. We trade a grenade. We trade a nuke. We trade a fighter plane, much as I don't want to give up the fighter plane. It's not our tools to change the world. What God says is, they won't change the world. They won't change it. And I think we have absolutely proven those things will not change the world. The look and the appearance might change, But the world hasn't changed. In order to change the world and be an activist like Jesus, you're going to have to embrace that power that he has and that he gives. You know, I wouldn't call myself particularly gifted in praying for the sick and seeing them healed. I have prayed for the sick many times and seen them healed. Many of them instantly. But if you were to look at that as a ratio of how many times I've prayed for the sick, it does not impress most people. But it impresses the people who were healed. The ratio was good. But there are people in this church who are better at praying for the sick than me. Why is that so? It's because we're different and because God has gifted different people different ways. But we all have the power to act and operate with the Spirit on behalf of His purpose. We all have that. It's been several years ago. There was a uh, young lady here that went to church here, and it was before church. She was sitting right there in that second row, and she was crying. And I asked her what was wrong, and she said, She had a neck ache and nothing made it better. Tylenol, Advil, these things. I knew it was time for me to pray. So I prayed for her. And I said, is it better? She said, no. What do we do? We pray again. I prayed for her again. Is it better? She said, no. Don't you love honesty? It's such a powerful tool. So... I asked her if I could pray for her again. I did. I said, is it better? She said, no, with these tears of pain. And then somebody said, let's get Michael Martinez. At that time, he was about that tall, and he was playing over on the other side. I don't know how old he was that tall who cares you know he was a a little guy and he and what he did when they called for him he came through the kitchen he jumped over the counter we're not really supposed to do that we need to talk to his parents (laughs) comes over and prays for this woman and it was a simple prayer the prayer of a 11 year old And her eyes just popped. And I said, what happened? She said, my neck popped and it doesn't hurt anymore. I said, really? And and he asked her, you know, tell the truth. Is it better? She said the pain is gone. So what does he do? He jumps back over the counter and goes over there to play. Maybe the moral of the story is, Get Michael and not Bill to pray for you. <laughs> or, jump, or jump the counter. Maybe, maybe that's the key. But here's the reality. I was as faithful as he was. I stepped to the plate. I swung the bat. An 11 year old steps to the plate and connects and hits it out of the park. Here's the key Jesus wins, Satan loses, darkness surrenders, intervention complete. It's not about me or my title. It's really not about jumping the counter. But there is an element of power that is required to do what Jesus did. We at least have to operate in it. And then we let the Holy Spirit decide what level of power actually hits. That is not not what I get to decide. What I do know is God has come to seek and save that which is lost. He has come to heal the sick. And I participate in those things. And the more faithful I am at it, the more God will work. We need that power. We need that authority to speak. We just went over a couple of weeks ago in our Tuesday night meeting where Joseph is in prison. And he had had interpreted a couple of dreams. and, And then somebody tells... Uh, The Pharaoh who needed a dream translated or interpreted, he said, hey, I know this guy in prison that can do that. And so they call him up, and he says, I understand you interpret dreams. He said, I can't interpret dreams. Nobody, no man can do that, but God can. And so he says, let me get back with you. You see, he knew where the power came from. It came from God. Are you kidding a man can't do that, but God can, and I know him. Let me get back with you. That's authority. That's authority. To speak like that is authority. We will need to ramp up our compassion if we're going to change the world. We have got to have compassion that goes beyond our own, or those who are just really appear to be victims. We have got to have compassion for the world. And we have got to never lose sight of God's focus, God's purpose. I think these are places where we really, we run aground as God's people. We lose sight of that purpose. So we're going to really come home to that today. Today. How did he do it? It was under the power of the Holy Spirit leading him. He was using these tools, these weapons that can really change a world. Compassion, love, power, authority. Those things can change a world. Bombs can't. And Jesus operated right where he was. We're going to pick up the point from last week and move forward. But this point is a sticking point for humanity. And so we we have to hit it again. And that is, Jesus did not look to declare which ones are the villains and which ones are the victims. We saw in Romans chapter 2 the danger of that. And we see those effects, um, uh, uh, how they're outlined there. Because it says in the scripture, when you do this, you need to understand, you're guilty of the same things. It's the guilty condemning the guilty. And when you call them wicked and you want justice for yourself, that is a sentence you're putting on yourself. You know, we just don't take that serious enough. We don't take it serious enough. When we want justice, we want something made right that isn't right, we really need to take into account that what that is doing in the heavenly realm against us. When you want that justice for you, be very careful because that is the place where we take on that judgment on ourselves. God says, trust me, every sin will be judged and dealt with completely. And he says, if that's true, how are you going to do? So, the idea of deciding who is wrong and villainizing them and deciding who is right and allowing them to be the victim is not the model to change the world. You don't see Jesus ever create villains or victims. He doesn't do either one of them because they are not a part of God's plan to change the world. They are not the design. That is man's coping tool to try to bring justice in a world that he cannot accomplish. That's man's tool. It's not God's tool. We have a scripture uh, I want to look at. Uh, You know, in that text, God really allows us to see in Romans chapter 2 that when we do this, we are totally discounting the kindness of God. And what God comes back and says is what you don't realize is this is the tool I use to bring everybody home. You're judging the very tool I'm using to bring every guilty person like you into a full awareness and a full relationship with myself. It is the God tool. You are trying to discount and disqualify the God tool. And what you should be doing is using the God tool. You should be showing kindness, kindness, and forbearance, and patience for every sinner, for every injustice that comes upon you. We see how it looks, and what Jesus did with this kind of injustice, I have it labeled, it's not right. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start a little bit early, so you can pick up the dialogue that Jesus is giving the people. Verse 11, he says, when, you brought, when you're brought before the synagogue rulers, the authorities, don't worry about what you're, about uh, how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So what is, what is Jesus teaching right now? He's saying, you know what? You're going to have problems. If you follow me, the authorities in this world will take issue with you. They're going to take issue with you. You're going to run into problems if you follow me. Let me tell you how to handle that. Stop worrying about it. Have you ever thought about how wise Jesus was in the moment? I just love some of his comebacks. What authority do you do, editor? Well, I'll tell you that when you tell me what authority John the Baptist operated in. It just shuts them all down. When they bring the woman who was caught in adultery and they remind him the law says that she should be stoned to death, he said, well, let the one without you, without sin here, cast the first stone. They all walked away. Don't you wish you could think like that in a moment? I mean, he just kind of gave them questions and thought problems that turned them in a different direction. That's wisdom. That's the Holy Spirit sharing something with you in the moment. Say this. And you do, and it works. You go, wow, who would have thought that works? Uh, Carlos and I were down in Colombia uh, years ago, and there was this big guy dressed in black. And he, what he was wanting is he was wanting me, I think, to tell his family to come back to him. So I began to probe. So tell me about your life. Tell me what's going on. Well, he's a drug dealer. He's a drug user. He's abuser and all this stuff. And uh, I thought, well, I don't know that I should say that. Uh, So, the question came to my mind, um, why, why should I tell your family to get back with you? So, I asked the question, why? And Carlos presented the question, Por qué? And he kind of reiterated the question. I said, Why? And this went on for a bit, multiple times, and he was getting angry uh, with us. And I was getting this look from Carlos like, Are you sure you want to say that again? <laughs> but I felt like the Lord was saying, Ask why. Keep asking why. So I just got more demonstrative in my why. And then finally, it just came out of his mouth because I deserve it. I thought, really? You haven't been a provider for your family. You've been a drug abuser. You've been a drug dealer and you've brought abuse into your home. What part of that makes you deserve to be brought back in by your family. But that's when he broke. It's when that truth came out, which was a lie. It's when the lie was revealed. I don't know about lies, but I know the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knows about lies. So, Jesus is giving him this information. You're going to need this to walk with me. And then from the crowd, this person says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Do you hear the injustice? Do you know how many times as a pastor I hear this line? I bet I hear this line 15 times a year. Just this week, heard a story, brother's supposed to get everything, sister went in early, got the stuff while mom was in hospice or something, and now they're not speaking and haven't spoke to one another in years. What would Jesus say? Is it an injustice? Sure it is. Sure it is. If my parents promised me a certain heirloom or something that was important to me and one of my siblings went in there and snuck in and took it knowing that was the case, is that an injustice? Yeah, absolutely it is. Is it a violation? Sure it is. What does Jesus say? Jesus replies, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Wow, that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Then he goes on and he speaks to the crowd. He takes it back to the crowd. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. What Jesus was saying is, you just heard deception. Because... What was important to this man, as Jesus is preaching how to successfully walk out being an activist, changing the world, this guy comes in in the middle of it and says, tell him to share the stuff with me. Jesus saw this man had already gone into a trap. Not only was his eyes focused on things and his heart focused on things, but he wasn't hearing what was being said. Jesus backs up this warning with a story. It's a story of a rich man he was so successful, uh, had so much of abundance of, of crops. He says, what can I do? I don't have enough room to store all my, my wealth. He says, I got it. I'll build more barns. I'll build more ways to store my stuff. And he died the next day. And we get this picture. That he's going to heaven, I say he's going to heaven, he's going to judgment with nothing. And the warning is, none of that stuff matters. That's the deception. So what's the world you're working in? We look at it in 2 Timothy chapter 4 again. A time is coming and now is when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. And the warning is, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation Do not be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. It's saying, in this world that you're in today, here's what he wants you to do. Stay focused. Be on your guard. Carry out your work what was the work to tell the others the good news so far I've really kind of focused on activism and being about the gospel and the reason I've done that is because the scripture would tell us that's the only activism that's going to save anybody Now, it doesn't mean that we don't take responsibility for actions in the world. But when the world look in the way it is, I want to now add this piece about God's plan. And this is out of the message. It's going to be, part of it's going to be very familiar to you. John 3, 16, we're going to take it through 18, really focusing on the second two. But the first one gives us God's motive. What is his motive here? Again, out of the message. This is how much God loved the world. He's talking about the one that you see in the news today. That's the world he's talking about. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. That's his motive. So he sent his son. And he reminds us, God did not go to all the trouble of sending a son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. Jesus spent very little time doing that. Continues on. He came to help. To put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him. Is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him. Has long since been under the death sentence. Without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure. To believe in the one of a kind son of God. When introduced to him. Our message goes out. To all mankind. The message. Is that God has come. To seek and save. Those who are lost. Jesus says. I have told you these things. That it's going to be tough and difficult. So that in me. You may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. What does he mean? I have overcome the world. It means that the system of this world, the deception of this world, and the outcome of this world, which is death and destruction, he has overcome all of those things. That's why we can take heart. That's why you can have peace in this world. That's what we have to offer people. That's what we're giving. So you see, where our story has to begin if we're going to change the world is it has to begin with there is good news for all mankind. And it is not subject to who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. It goes out to anyone and everyone who listens. And that has to be a passion for you and I. If we're going to have any hope to be who we were created to be. It is my opinion that everybody in this room was created with great purpose toward God's kingdom going across the world. It is my absolute belief. It is my conviction. I have the knowledge that some of you are felons convicted? Some of you are addicted to things. Some of you have secret lives. Some of you have sin issues that you struggle with. Or varying degrees of other things that are wrong with us. What I want you to hear today is, that is not where your story ends. That is not where my story ends. We're not waiting for another crop of people who got life a little better than we did. You see, if we would believe that we are the chosen ones, if you would buy that for just a minute and you would let that sink in, that this is your message to go out into the sphere of your life, And that it has the potential and the power and it will produce the fruit of the kingdom. It will do that. And if we allowed that to saturate our being and we allowed that truth to be wholesome and on the forefront of our everyday, then the world would change. I want to share a little bit. Political programs, church programs, nonprofit organizations. I was reading a uh oh, it was an article or something, and it was on I don't really remember what it was about now, but it was something controversial, and over 7,000 people had posted comments. I'm thinking, really? If I'm 7,221, do I really think somebody cares is going to read my post? I mean, does somebody really care what Bill Laswell thought about some event that happened somewhere else And maybe one of you might. I don't even think I would care what I posted. And probably people have already posted something similar to what I posted. Now, if you have some fulfillment out of posting comment number 7,232, bless you. But that won't change the world. Political programs, political parties, Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever you might be, Greenpeace, I I don't care. Should you be political? I think so. Should you vote? Sure, I think so. Is he going to save the world? No. Is he going to make it better? Probably not. I'm not, I'm not saying there's a hopelessness about society. I'm saying we have to work at society. We have to work hard at it. What I'm saying is if we put our trust, our hope, in the political system, then we have become a part of the deceived. Years ago, this is going on tape, so I'll probably get some ugly comments about this from somebody, but years ago on Christian Radio, there was a show called Marlon Maddox. And, uh, you know, if you've been around a long time, you probably know. And maybe it's still on somewhere. I don't know. I hope not. Uh, but I would listen. I was a new believer, and I would listen. it was like every day at 2 o'clock, they would have somebody on there, and for an hour, they would go on about some thing, whether it's the school board or textbooks or, you know, freedom of speech or same-sex marriage, you know, whatever it was at that time. We have to get active and we have to do this and we have to do that. And I did that. And it's like every day it was a new one. Every day I'm having to gear up for yet another political thing or another uh, uh, something to sign and something to follow. And after about, I don't know, 50, 60 days, I'm weary. And I begin to realize there are more problems than there are even Marlon Maddox shows. I think it's great to be active. I think it's great to go after things that need to be right. The question is, where do we put our hope? And if we put our hope in a political process, then we have no hope. Church programs. Equal Opportunity Day. Here's what I think about church programs. I think they're great. But if you read the scripture, do you know the role of a church program? It's to train you to do the work of the church. Most of the time we look at it as the venue to be the church. We need to have a program that feeds the poor and because we're not feeding the poor. We need a program that, that helps with English as a second language because we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. We need a program so we can do that. That's not even a biblical model. Here's what the scripture would say You are the program. Doesn't mean we don't get together and do things as a church. It means that we don't wait for the church to have a program for the elderly before we take notice of the elderly. It means that we can engage those in poverty. And and I think our church overall does a good job with this. I know people right now in this church, in the last couple of weeks, we've given food to those with no food. We've given clothes to those with no clothes. We've taken people to the hospital. We've taken people into our homes. We've taken homeless people into our homes, strangers into our homes. All that is happening right here. You know why it excites me? Because the church is doing the stuff. The church is operating as the church. And it doesn't say, I can't help the poor because our church doesn't have a program. It does have a program. It's me. It's you. And some of those things will go, we can do better together in this particular case. And in that case, we need to have a more organized program. The world's problem is not a political problem. It's a sin problem. It's not a culture problem. It's not an ignorance problem. It's not an educational problem. It's not a water problem. It's not a food problem. It's a sin problem. The world, every day, is dying. Should we go dig wells? I think we should always help those who are less fortunate. Always. But we should also let them know, what really is your ailment is sin. And I have great news for you. There is a cure for that. We can see these effects when they arrested Jesus. This idea that it was not a political fight. It was not a gun battle or a sword fight. In Matthew 26, 50 through 54... When they arrested Jesus, his reply was, Do what you came for, friend. Called him friend. That's pretty interesting. Then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Jesus' response, Put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Do you think that's what's missing here, my friend? Do you think I just didn't bring that type of power because I forgot it. And Jesus reminds him, I can bring all the swords of the universe. One whisper. And he had the power to destroy the world. But he reminds him, What is happening is in play as God's plan. I think the church is in for a rough road in the next 10 years. If you are this person. and i think some of you will be arrested i think some things will happen and if you wonder why you can ask god and he might say it's right on plan bill no worries I have a cartoon. One more status liked, one more problem solved. You know, in the Urban Dictionary, it's called slacktivism. And uh, the definition, noun, the self-deluded idea that by liking, sharing, or retweeting something, you are helping out. Many will argue with that definition. I saw some interesting rebuttals saying, slacktivists are really great people and are doing a lot to change the world. But to change the world, you will have to engage the world. You won't sit behind your laptop or your iPad in the comfort of your air conditioning and your home. And just when you don't have anything else to do, you're kind of bored. You watch videos and you read tweets and you usher up your opinion on them and call it another day. So I'm going to give you eight things of being an activist for Jesus. Number one, You will have to be completely sold on the problem and the solution for the world. You will have to buy in. You will have to buy in to what God says is the problem and the solution. If you don't keep them right here, you'll get lost. You'll lose your way. And it's what allows us to feed the poor. It's what allows us to to take part in um, the issues with the Palestinians and the Israelis. It's what allows us to get involved in, in human trafficking for, for good reasons and with good result. What allows us to do that is we don't take our eye off the ball that the solution for mankind is Jesus. Number two, you will have to ever be connected with God's motivation and his plan. His motivation is love. His plan is that Jesus Christ sets people free. That's his motivation. That's his plan. And we must be connected with that. And for some of us who don't necessarily like much of humanity, we need an overhaul of our love. Some of us, our love is very conditional. I had a a person here one time at our church said, I love you, but don't ever lie to me. Don't ever lie to me. I hate liars. Wow. You don't know quite where you stand at that point, do you? That love is very conditional. very conditional love it's not a love that can save it's a love that can condemn but it can't save you will have to retool all that you know about how things are fixed reaching for the power and the authority of God Reaching for love and compassion for your enemies, for people who are like, making your life miserable. These are the tools Jesus used. The people who arrested them, he called him friend. The People who mocked him and beat him, crucified him, he told his father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even at that moment, what was he doing? Seeking and saving the lost. Never lost his focus on his purpose. You see, that's what he has equipped and called each of us to do. Exactly that. Exactly in that way. And we saw Stephen do it. In chapter 7 of Acts, Stephen was stoned to death. And while they're stoning him, what were his words? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He did what Jesus did. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, I just, I I hope in that moment I I reach for the right words instead of, you know, some other words that you might be thinking of. I'm going to call fire from heaven. I'm going to kill all of you. God, you got to do this for me. (laughs) You know, I'm speaking with faith here, and uh, this is for your glory, that we're going to kill all these people. No, he said, forgive them. Didn't even ask for salvation. Didn't ask to be saved. But he interceded. Number four. Do something. Get involved. Do something. Look around you at what there is to do where you are. Look at people in your life that you just haven't noticed before. Times and struggles and places. I'll tell you a good one. Our children's ministry. That's a great place to make a great contribution. It's a great place to change the world. You start where you are. Start being active. Start looking for those ways. Number five, you will have to surrender much of your fault finding that is normally used to try to make things right. It's that fine line where we have to understand what is sin, but not totally blow away the sinner with it. We have to do that. It's not an option. You have to do that. You're going to have to find a way to separate sin and sinner. And that at that point is when you can go to somebody who's struggling with a sin and say, Can I pray for you in that? I know that's got to be really hurting you on some level. Can we make it about them? We can call people on our sin. I'm a pastor. I have to do that. But I have to do it in a way that it's about them. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When they arrested him, hey, friend. I mean to arrest an innocent guy that's calling you, hey, Friend. You will need to start where you are. You don't have to go to the Middle East. You don't have to go to Washington. You don't have to go to Austin. You don't have to go to Houston to see if you can find some homeless people. Start where you are. Tell God, open your eyes to the world around you. And here's why. You are where you are. That's a great place to start. It's not like God isn't doing anything here. Start here. God will show you what to do. Connect with the struggles of humanity in other parts of the world. You know, we can really get wrapped up in the football game being rained out. In other parts of the world, their their struggle is very different than ours. Let's not forget the world, even those that we can't see. Those that are fighting for their lives and those that are losing that fight. when they say 200,000 people in the last 10 years have lost their life to the drug wars in Mexico. If that's just a number to you, you probably need to pray about that number. A lot of those are teens. Teens like our teens. Some were children more dads or moms they're not numbers and god is chasing people i find that struggling to connect with humanity is also listening to somebody's story when they're messed up don't start with, you're a sinner. Start with hearing their side of the story. I was talking to somebody yesterday. Hamas fires a rocket today and kills somebody in Israel. Hamas is the villain. Israel is the victim. But if we go back the day before, Israel was bombing somewhere or mowing down houses and, uh, in the territories, and they were killing people. and in that point, you have a different villain and a different victim. But here's what you can know, no matter who you like or what you believe. they both have a story. They both have a story, and it's real to them, and it's powerful. And they are human beings that God is pursuing. And so we need to listen to their story. I don't care whether you like them or not. You need to hear their story. You need to hear where their story comes from and where they hope it will go someday. Because in that story somewhere, there's a way for you and I to talk about good news for them in their story. Allow the Holy Spirit to train and lead you. We will not pull this off unless we can allow the Holy Spirit to develop that authority within. He is there. He will do it. He is there. He will do it. He wants to change the world. And your number is up he's calling your number my number do the kinds of things that change the world and know what those are know what they are and begin to operate in those things if you would stand